you are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Vermill. And joining us from Chicago is the Washington Post's Ben Golliver, where he's covering tonight's NBA draft lottery before heading over to Milwaukee for the Eastern Conference Finals. But I want to talk about all of that later on in the show because I'd rather start with tonight's opening game of the Conference Finals between the Warriors and Trailblazers. Obviously, the Warriors are the better team. And a lot of people propped up the last round between the Warriors and the Rockets as the NBA Finals. But in that series, Golden State lost a big piece in Kevin Durant. Durant didn't play in Game 6 against the Rockets. They won anyway. And he's already been ruled out for Game 1 tonight, and I was at practice on Monday. They don't sound very optimistic that he'll be around for Game 2. But Ben, does Durant's injury open the door for Portland? Well, they couldn't have asked for anything more, right? I feel like I've used the phrase war of attrition uh, during these playoffs like 75 times to describe all these different series, but that's kind of what's happened, right? I mean, you look at Portland, they came into the postseason without Nurkic, Canner's banged up with the shoulder, Rodney Hood gets the knee injury. It's like, what else could go wrong for them? Uh, but the biggest factor for them matchup wise is Kevin Durant. They don't have the length. They don't have the interior defense to really take away his easy stuff. And he will be a nightmare cover for them uh, if and when he returns healthy to this series. So they couldn't ask for much more. Now they only have one day to get ready for it in between their game seven uh, against Denver and game one in Oracle, like you mentioned. So that's a real tough turnaround. And and obviously Golden State's going to have a rest advantage, but I think if you're the Warriors, you're feeling very comfortable that your defensive personnel matches up better with Portland's guards than vice versa. I think the the confidence from that game six with Steph Curry going crazy in the second half, uh, everybody else stepping up, you know, right down the list from Clay Thompson to Draymond Green uh, to the bench to Andre Iguodala, I think is going to get Golden State off on the the right track here in this series. Yeah, I mean, I I guess from Portland's perspective, uh, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, they have an opportunity here. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say the door is open for them. I mean, maybe they can see a a sliver of light creaking through there. But at the same time, they're not going to get much more of an opportunity to unseat Golden State. So they have to take advantage of it. I wonder if there'd be enough confidence there. We've seen some strong performances from C.J. McCollum, who I think was a big question mark throughout the, the you know earlier in the playoffs and we didn't know how effective he'd actually be we were counting on Dame Lillard to have a big series against Denver it didn't exactly pan out that way so if they can get both players to play at a high level you assume that they'll have a decent chance of maybe stealing a game against Golden State but either way with or without Durant I still think Golden State are heavy favorites over this team I think stealing a game one of these first two games in Oakland is going to be huge for Golden State not only because the longer the series goes the greater chance Durant returns. We still have no idea how long Durant, Durant's going to be out. It might be two games. It might be three. It might be he might be out the whole series. Who knows? But uh, if you're if you're Portland and you could steal one of these games at Oracle, then you get to go back home to Portland for games three and four, where you're thirty-seven and ten throughout the regular season and the postseason. Now, granted, you're not playing the Warriors in those fifty games, but. You you've got a tremendous home court advantage that you need to take advantage that that you'd like to to take advantage of and maybe go back to Oakland for Game Five with a lead in the series. I mean that would be huge for them. And and you look at Portland's bench. I think that Terry Stotts is gonna. I would I would expect him to probably try to go deep with that bench early on and sort of trim from there, kind of figure out who can't play and who can. Also worth mentioning Rodney Hood day to day with that uh, left knee strain. Um, so 
that's that that could play into this too. But yeah, can you play Cantor? Can you play Myers Leonard? Evan Turner? I, these guys? I think that's the problem. And we've seen a lot of these guys get exposed in matchups against Golden State in the past, and they were able to play Cantor throughout the first two rounds of the series because both Oklahoma City and Denver preferred to stay big, and that's kind of where he can get by. I think the problem is uh, for Portland, their wings have not shot the ball well at all in this postseason. Al Farouk, Aminu, Mo Harkless, both those guys saw their minutes get cut as that series unfolded. Evan Turner has, I think, had eight different playoff games where he's gone scoreless. I think that's going to obviously be an issue. Right. And then if any team is equipped to exploit Enos Kanter in the middle there, it's obviously Golden State when they go small. So I think there's a lot of matchup issues for Portland. You know, head-to-head during the Steve Kerr era, I believe Golden State is 13-5 and against Portland during the regular season, and they're 8-1 and in the postseason. So there's a lot of confidence here. I hate to use like a Steph versus Seth Curry analogy, but I think the Golden State Warriors absolutely treat the Portland Trailblazers like their younger brother. You could hear Kevin Durant's confidence on the podcast with C.J. McCollum last summer. I don't think there's any fear factor whatsoever. You said it right off the top that – uh, the Houston series had sort of a finals vibe to it. Uh, I think, you know, for Portland to be able to pull the upset here, a lot of their formula will rely on Golden State complacency, uh, feeling mm. like they can just take care of business no matter what, because I think from a matchup standpoint, the historical standpoint, head-to-head, all the rest of it, everything favors Golden State here very strongly. Really quick, you mentioned the Aminu and Harkless shooting. Uh, they shot 32% combined from three-point range over the regular season. They're at, they're down to less than twenty eight percent on threes in the postseason. Eighteen of sixty five total combined. That's not good. The one thing I do like about Portland, if I'm trying, look, if I'm trying to make the argument of why Portland might win this, the only adjustment I feel like the Warriors have from a personnel standpoint is just getting Durant back. But if you're Portland, you've got a little bit more of a deeper roster at this point. You could kind of shuffle, like, okay, if if Aminu and Harkless don't have it going, maybe. You sub out Harkless for Seth Curry or Evan Turner's another ball handler or something like that. Rodney Hood, if he's healthy, you could kind of mix and match your pieces a little bit. I I do think that just Terry Stotts has a few more adjustments at his disposal, even if none of them necessarily get him over the hump. I guess. Yeah, I mean, each of those substitutions comes with their own baggage, you know. So you, you talked about inserting Seth Curry. What you're getting on offense, you give up on defense. You're already losing some defensive tenacity with Cantor in the starting lineup. I mean, I, I, all these players are flawed, which is why their ceiling was ultimately limited to begin with. The fact that they've gotten this far, I think, is a lot further than most people expected them to. And while they won't ever admit it, I think it's a lot further than they even expected to get to, especially after losing use of Nurkic earlier in the season. So any changes that Stotts can make, and we give credit to Stotts 100% because he deserves it. He's done a great job of getting this team through, and there's been some incredible individual performances from Lillard, McCollum, etc. And they've gotten some nice you know, contributions occasionally off their bench, but for the most part, this unit as a whole is not strong enough, and every player individually is not good enough to unseat any of Golden State's top players. I'm with you, and I also think that Portland's bench will allow Golden State to play its bench more. I think part of the reason mm. why that Houston Golden State series um, was turned into this like kind of injury fest with the main guys, like with with Durant going down and all these guys playing huge minutes, was because neither team could trust their bench guys to go against each other because the other team's offense was so capable of exploiting them. I don't get the sense that's the case with Portland and Golden State. Like if Portland plays its bench guys, Steve Kerr is just going to go deeper into his bench, buy minutes, buy time uh, for his main guys. And, you know, from an experience factor, there's no question of those bench guys, whether it's Sean Livingston, 
I mean, even Looney, uh, you know, Andrew Bogut, however they decide to go lineup-wise. I mean, these guys have been there before. Portland's guys haven't. And I think that uh, David's on to something here. I mean, this has been a dream run for the Portland Trailblazers. You rewind to when Nurkic went down with the injury, and you could have gotten incredible odds on the Blazers making it to the Western Conference Finals, right? And I think um, they're going from the soft side of the bracket now to the back-to-back defending champions. I think they're going to really feel uh, a change in the quality of competition here as they start this series. Yeah, and you could say that maybe the Warriors are beaten up going into this thing, having had played the Clippers and how physical that series was going into Houston and how intense that series was. But I thought Steve Kerr said something interesting on Monday at practice was, you know, having played Lou Williams and the guards with the Clippers, and then obviously, you know, Chris Paul and James Harden with Houston, they're they're they've kind of in this rhythm of playing against other superstar guards now, where if you're if you're Portland, you haven't played a team anything like the Warriors. I mean, yeah, Denver is a pass happy team, and they like to do all that stuff, but they like to play big. They'll play they'll play Plumlee and Jokic at the same time against San Antonio, obviously, uh, or I'm sorry, against the Thunder. The Thunder like to play big. Oftentimes with Steven Adams in there, and they don't really have a choice to, other than to play big oftentimes. So Portland hasn't had to play small a whole lot. Houston kind of got it an advantage at certain points during that semifinals round by going small with P.J. Tucker at center, but Portland's only gone small for four or four minutes the entire playoffs. <laughs> it's yeah, been, and both yeah. states' perimeter defenders are better than Portland's perimeter right. defenders, right? Like, who would you rather have? If you have to go in this guard-to-guard battle, would you rather have Clay Thompson Andre Iguodala with Draymond Green behind them or what Portland's working with, you know, Harkless and Aminu who, um, you know, are capable defensive players, but, you know, like like you mentioned earlier, haven't been able to shoot the ball at all. I mean, I think uh, Golden State deserves to be heavy favorites here. I would pick them in five games, um, even if Durant doesn't come back. And uh, I think, you know, part of the game within the game for the Warriors is when do you bring Durant back? Like, do you rush him? Do you save him for the finals? I mean, what would your strategy be there? Yeah, that's a good point because if look, if you drop one of these first two games at home, you've got to really consider bringing Durant back early. But if, if you're looking ahead to the NBA Finals and you've got a 2-0 lead going into Portland, you could maybe say, all right, we could afford to drop one, win this series in five, so to speak. Because on the other side in the NBA Finals, it's either Giannis or Kawhi Leonard. We're going to need Durant for that. We're going to need Durant healthy for that because he'll have to play his best series of the whole playoffs if they're going to pull that one out. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I mean, I, I think yeah. Golden State's a clear favorite here. So it seems how like many games? Great. Oh, I would have to say five to be honest with you. All right, I'm going to go six. I think Durant's injury buys them a game, and I would have picked Portland to steal something at some point. So I'll, I'll say six just to be different. Let's okay. take a break. Coming up next, who has the better chance to dominate the Eastern Conference Finals, Giannis or Kawhi? You're listening to Locked On NBA. Let's talk about ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That magical place is ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the right people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
The Eastern Conference Finals starts Wednesday with the Raptors going to Milwaukee. Both Kawhi and Giannis are having huge postseasons for their teams. After what you've seen so far, David, who do you think has the edge? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I like the way that Toronto's played. They've put up some really good games against a really solid team with some top high-end talent in Philadelphia. They obviously shut out Orlando pretty easily in a matchup I up close. And I really thought that they were going to be able to dominate Philadelphia from what I had seen versus uh, Orlando, but that wasn't the case. Or, or and Philadelphia, to their credit, uh, were able to match them up pretty well. Obviously, going seven games, it was a fun series, etc. Milwaukee has cruised somewhat so throughout the playoffs, so it's it's kind of hard to exactly gauge how prepared they'll be for the top competition. Because I think clearly Toronto is a very very good team. That's not saying anything groundbreaking there. But at the same time, I just I wonder whether or not they're going to be a little bit. I mean, obviously they'll have home court advantage. They've got superstar level talent, obviously, and and Giannis Antetokounmpo. But are they going to be prepared for Toronto? I I'd say that I'd say that Milwaukee has the edge. I think Antetokounmpo's style of play um, and, and the fact that they're probably a little deeper as far as other players that are capable of carrying the load. I don't. I think Toronto is somewhat limited. Although we've seen some, you know, capable performances from Siakam and others, I think they're relying so heavily on Kawhi that I just don't see that he can carry this team consistently throughout a longer series against the the Bucks. So, I, I would have to give the the, the edge to Adekunpo and the Bucks. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's about Kawhi's role within Toronto's offense because they've already faced two pretty good defenses with uh, the Orlando Magic. Uh, and the Philadelphia 76ers. And when push came to shove, it basically just became, hey, it's the Kawhi Leonard show. Everybody else is going to get out of the way. And unfortunately, that means there's been a lot of no-show performances from their key supporting guys. There's been an awful lot of pump fake parties out there, man. I'm seeing a lot of these guys <laughs> looking at shots and turning them down and keeping the ball moving. Uh, you know, people want to celebrate Kawhi Leonard's 41 points in Game 7 and the incredible game winner, and they should do that. But it's not healthy when one guy is scoring 41 points out of your 92. I mean, that's a, a sign of a problem, not just a sign of a great player. So uh, in Milwaukee, I believe they're going against the postseason's best defense, number one ranked defense so far. And Toronto has the, the worst offensive rating in the playoffs of any of the four remaining teams. So to me, that's sort of where this series is going to hinge. Either Toronto gets supporting you know, scoring and shooting from a guy like Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam steps up big. Marcus Gasol decides to actually pull the trigger on some threes or it's going to devolve into uh, you know a lot of Kawhi hero ball I also like you know frankly Milwaukee's personnel that they can use on Kawhi Leonard they've mm-hmm. got both Chris Middleton and Giannis as a help defender that's going to be right. great they've got Brooke Lopez in front of the paint who will be able to, to take away some easy stuff around there and they've also got Eric Bledsoe who I think is a great matchup for Kyle Lowry and you know he's been up and down uh, in these postseason, no question about it. But they've also got George Hill. So if Bledsoe is running cold, uh, they've got multiple options there to negate Lowry. Um, I think both these teams are really good, but I feel comfortable, you know, picking the Bucks in six. And I think that, you know, frankly, Toronto will have a harder time slowing down the Giannis-led offense than Milwaukee will have slowing down uh, Kawhi Leonard, who's basically had to do everything. Yeah, you hit on a couple of things there. I think the matchups in this series are going to be really interesting because both teams are long, they're mobile. They, you know, they're, they like they could switch a lot of different matchups and, and make adjustments that way. Uh, throughout the most of the regular season, the Bucks in the look Toronto had a two-one edge over the Bucks during the regular season, and in those matchups, they had Chris Middleton on Kawhi Leonard. I do wonder, is that sustainable? I, I don't, I don't mind that matchup. Chris Middleton is certainly as good as anybody, I guess, an option to, to defend Kawhi Leonard at this point, but. 
does that take away like if you're asking Middleton to do that defensively that does that take away from what he can contribute on the offensive end because Milwaukee's going to need someone else to step up maybe it's Eric Bledsoe but then he's dealing with Lowry um and if you're Toronto you're like somebody else has got to put shots up not just make shots just try some like at this point I like the pump fake party thing Ben that was good because they just need somebody else to go out and be aggressive. Serge Ibaka was really big in, for them in that game seven, but it's, maybe it's somebody else stepping up every game. It, it, you guys kind of hit on, on a theme that I wanted to ask. Who's the third best player in this series? Because I'm not quite sure. And I think whoever ha- ends up having the third best player in the series could end up having a, a pretty good advantage. I guess it would be either Middleton or Siakam, right? And, and Siakam's right. been somewhat inconsistent, and not only that, but he's also hurt. And, and you brought up a good point about who guards, I mean, who guards Kawhi Leonard. And I think in this case, you probably have to sacrifice Middleton. You know, you, you're, you're banking on him to do a good enough job to limit what, uh, what Leonard can do. And even if he can't, you kind of just allow him to get his points while trying to shut down everybody else. And he's kind of being used defensively. Um, and sacrificing whatever offense he could get when he does get into foul trouble because he invariably will. But it's a chance that you'd rather take with Middleton rather than Adetokounmpo. You can't risk him guarding Leonard, although I'm sure he will for stretches at a time, but you can't risk him getting into foul trouble because he's just too he's just too good, and he's, he's such a vital part of what M- Milwaukee's capable of doing. And although, as Ben noted, they have a lot more depth, and I think they have a lot of other role players that can step up and provide some ancillary production, at the same time, you don't want to risk Adetokounmpo getting into early foul trouble, so you'd rather take that chance with a player like Middleton. Yeah, I think Middleton is the third best player in this series, no question about it. I'm not too worried about him sacrificing his offense because I think his primary goal in this series will be to make Kawhi Leonard's life as difficult as possible. If Middleton goes out there and goes scoreless for four games, if he can hold Kawhi Leonard to a B, I think Milwaukee's going to win this series. And I say Mm. that in part because their offense is not just like alpha, then beta, and then whoever the supporting guys are. I mean, as we saw against Boston, especially after the game one where they sort of Uh, you know, adjusted to the Celtics defense, which I was really impressed with, uh, you know, all season long, their offense had a humming. The ball was moving. They're getting points from all over the court. Guys like Pat Connaughton are uh, chipping in. They're getting, you know, five scoring threats on the court for almost the entire game. And Giannis was doing a very good job of of picking apart the defense. I don't see anyone on Toronto, uh, unless they go like full Kawhi on him, that's going to be able to, uh, to, you know, make Giannis work individually. If you have to start sending help, if you have to double, if he's able to collapse your defense from the perimeter, that just sets up all the drive and kick stuff, and they're going to be scoring like they've been scoring against everybody during this postseason. So uh, to me, uh, it's less about, okay, my number one versus your number one and more about who's got the best five that they can put out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that Milwaukee has a better five from a talent standpoint and also a more trustworthy five because of some of these issues with confidence and uh, you know, just wavering inconsistency and the injury issue to, to Siakam as well. Um, I think Milwaukee just has fewer questions. I'm with you. I, I'm leaning towards Milwaukee in this series. A couple points, though, from Toronto's perspective. Uh, Milwaukee's very happy to give up the mid-range shot. We know that about their defense. They're trying to take away the corner three, and they're trying to take away points in the paint. Toronto has the third best field goal percentage in the mid-range. Now, a lot of that is due to Kawhi, but they've got a lot of guys that can make mid-range shots. So does does Toronto lean all the way into that and just say, okay, we'll take we'll gobble up all the mid range shots that you want to give us, and we'll just try to even the score that way, or do they try to force Milwaukee's defense into uncomfortable situations? I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch. And well, then, don't you think though, real quick on that? Yeah. I think that they'll do their best to take away Kawhi's mid range. I think that you'll see as the series unfolds, they they send more and more help exactly. towards him. And, and does that open up other things for them? 
Right. So, I mean, if you're saying can Pascal and Kyle Lowry beat you with 16-footers, I think Milwaukee will take that trade, right? Well, then you want also Kai, Kawhi. If they're going to try to come up and play that mid-range area, can Kawhi be a good enough playmaker to find guys cutting to the rim and finding whatever holes that they that they leave open by trying to take away some mid-range? I think a lot of it. So it just keeps coming back down to Kawhi. Um, I also thought the Raptors had a decent litmus test in Game 6. That was the Ben Simmons game, right? Game 6 when he yeah. just went nuts for Philly. Yeah. Um, in that Game 7, they started to do that that Boston Celtics thing against Giannis where they built a wall against Simmons in transition. I wonder if they had enough film study on Game 6 that they could apply that a little bit to Giannis. I know it's not it's not an exact comp, but maybe it was a similar defensive answer that they had in Game 7. I, I wonder if that carries over at all into the series, if that may have helped them a little bit. Um, hey, now, don't disrespect my guy Giannis. Ben Simmons is not <laughs> in the same paragraph let alone the same sentence, okay? He had one nice game during this playoffs. Okay, I'm being a little harsh. He's probably had three or four nice games. Giannis has been an absolute animal. And what he did adjusting to the Celtics' defense and picking them apart for four straight wins and then slamming the door in their face was unlike anything Mm -hmm. Toronto has seen to date this year. And the only thing that they can compare it to, by the way, is LeBron James from, you know, a couple years ago where he, he booted them out of the playoffs real quick. So... Um, you know, I don't say that lightly. I have all the respect in the world for LeBron, but you know, Ben Simmons on his best day dreams of playing like Giannis. One last point before we check out and, and head towards the NBA draft lottery. Toronto won fifty eight games, Milwaukee won sixty. Now Milwaukee won sixty basically going all out for the regular season. Toronto won fifty eight with Kawhi resting twenty games. I I know that we gave credit to their load management and that was a big win for load management with Kawhi playing, you know, forty plus minutes a game against Philly and doing what he had to do, carrying the load the way he had to carry it. I wonder if it, if it comes down to a Game 7 in Milwaukee and they basically passed up the number one seed by resting Kawhi as much as they did, if we start to maybe rethink that load management. it might. Let's, let's, I'm, all I'm saying is let's hold off on giving the win to load management before the end of this series. Um, David, do you want to do a quick prediction on your on this one? Yeah, I got to go with Bucks. Uh Probably in six, to be honest with you. I, I keep following Ben's lead here, but it's a it's a good point. And I, I think I think they're just a better team. I, I like their depth, and as much as I like Toronto's perimeter defense, I just think that Milwaukee's depth, their their level of talent across the board, is just too much for Toronto to overcome. I'm going one more game, just like the last time. I guess I just like basketball more than you guys. Game, this goes to seven. Milwaukee and Milwaukee gets it in seven. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk about which team needs a win in tonight's NBA Draft Lottery the most. You're listening to Locked On NBA. Thanks to our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. You can support them and support us by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new unarchived episodes of Locked On NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a review. Ben, you're in Chicago. You'll be at tonight's NBA Draft Lottery. Of all the teams in the mix, who do you think could improve the most by getting the number one pick, which would basically be Zion Williamson? Well, I would say the Knicks could improve the most because it would give them the most flexibility, right? I mean, you could look at that as a trade piece, try to get into the Anthony Davis mix. You could use that uh, as your lure to the big free agents who might be coming this summer. So they can go a lot of different directions with that. Plus, they can improve the most because they're the worst team out there, right? I mean, their their collection of talent going forward is is probably the roughest. If I had to pick one destination, though, where I would want him to land, I hear all the people out there saying Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. I totally hear that, and I'm not going to argue with that. 
but still this idea of Dallas, like somehow finding a way to hop up and having him, Porzingis, and Luka on the same team. I feel like that team would melt the internet next year as long as Porzingis can escape the bar brawls and get back on the court. Um, so I'm not necessarily rooting one way or the other, but I think if I could uh, make it happen, if I could snap my fingers, I would have Zion on the Mavericks. So that Dallas pick is top five protected, correct? So they'd have to leap all the way. Oh, they obviously, if they leapt up all the way to number one, they'd have Zion, right? That's kind of the idea. Right. Okay. That's the idea, yeah. And if they lose it, then, you know, that's, that's to a Atlanta tough break anyway. because pretty soon they're going to have to start paying Porzingis. And, you know, Doncic is kind of, you know, com- coming down the road too in terms of being a max level player. So that, that's why hopping up into the t- top five for them this year would just be absolutely huge. Yeah. David, do you have a preference of who you want to see win this thing? I mean, uh, you know, I think you and I are a little biased, but <laughs> well, I, I mean, uh, not not necessarily Miami to be honest with you. I, I kind of I'm going to be that, that loud majority that Ben was talking about. I think I like the Atlanta option because I think nah. if they do select Zion, they make the much more difficult leap. I mean, look, the Knicks would have to acquire Zion. That's fine. They would also have to acquire at least two top level free agents, or maybe trade for another one, as Ben hinted at. But either way, they're not necessarily going to be if they just stick with Zion. And, and let's say that their plan falls short, as many predict it will, and they don't acquire KD, they don't acquire Kyrie Irving, etc. They're not going to be a good team next year. They're just going to be a, a bad team with a much better player that will still attract some people to watch them. But with Atlanta, I think if they were to get a player like Zion, they could make the leap that a lot that a lot of teams struggle with, which is to be a bad team that's improving and then to become a playoff team. And I think that's that's harder to make. Like if you look at the other lottery bound teams, Phoenix isn't going to jump into the playoffs. Chicago, Washington, they're not going to jump into the playoff picture. Even New Orleans, uh, depending on what happens with the AD situation, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for them. Dallas, obviously, out in the West, they're still going to struggle to make a playoff. But in Atlanta. In the Eastern Conference, with three top-level talents like John Collins, Zion Williamson, and Trey Young, you can kind of see the beginnings of a playoff team, if not necessarily next year, down the road, and that's a little bit harder of a leap to make. So I'd prefer that destination, to be honest with you. In the words of LeBron James, <laughs> Ooh, I want to see the Lakers do it. I yeah. want like I would Come not on, be upset on. if the Lakers won the lottery. I wouldn't be upset. First of all, great couple months of conspiracy theories all the way in. Um, come on, LeBron James and Zion Williamson, like just LeBron takes Zion under his wing, oh. kind of gets him into the whole uh, clutch sports, you know, fraternity thing going Has on. Has he there. picked I an just... agent? Has he picked an agent yet, Zion? Z- I don't know. Has Zion picked? I probably should know that. I, I don't believe so. But <laughs> yeah. now, I mean, now you're getting my. Uh, I'm salivating over here at ha- having the prospect of being able to cover Zion's rookie season for some reason. Yeah. I'm not sure the basketball gods are, are going to be favoring the Lakers like that. Hey, one other angle on the Hawks, though. I mean, those guys haven't had a, a hot jersey in years, maybe my entire <laughs> lifetime, honestly, since, like, Dominique Wilkins. I mean, Zion Williams would move some jerseys. You, you go through those 80s throwbacks, you know, those crazy uh, uh, green and white ones. I mean, that mm-hmm. would be a, a pretty legit marketing opportunity. One other team we should mention, the Phoenix Suns. You know, they just hired Monty Williams, who kind of shepherded the first years of, uh, you know, Anthony Davis's career and kind of got him into that superstar category, obviously had a very close bond with him. I mean, the Suns is the kind of organization I've just been writing off as like a player development backwater. It's just never going to happen. 
Uh, but you get Monty in there, all of a sudden, you know, that looks like a little bit more, uh, you know, desirable of a destination for a guy like Zion. We could do the thing where we kind of go through each team and see how he fits, but I'll just throw one more in there. The Memphis Grizzlies, I mean, that would be a playoff team, I think, almost immediately. Or, I don't know, it's tough in the Western Conference to say that. But Jaron Jackson, actually, Ben, I'm surprised. You wrote that uh, Jaron, like, you love Jaron Jackson. Like, having JJJ. there would be amazing. The 4-5 fit there would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, that would be great. Um Last question, and then we'll we'll wrap it up here. If New Orleans somehow leapt up to the number one seed, right, and or the number the yeah the number one pick, they draft Zion. Is that enough to keep Anthony Davis? Do you think, or is that ship ship just sailed? Like they have no hope. I mean, I guess we have to wait to see what T-shirt yeah. he wears. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, no, I, honestly, I think that ship sailed, and I think that. David Griffin coming into that job did the very smart thing, which is, you know, you say all the lip service about, oh, yeah, we're going to do our best to try to sell him on staying here. And then in the meanwhile, you know, you're kind of like whispering behind your hand. Yeah, don't worry. We're going to trade him. We're going to we're going to take care of this. Let's just try to like keep it as low profile as possible. I think the quieter that story uh, stays at this point because of Griffin's experience, you know, in high high stakes negotiations, uh, the better chance there's going to be a deal that gets done involving Anthony Davis. That's all, folks. You can get this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NBA. Thanks to Ben Golver for joining us, and thank you for listening. <laughs> 